1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Stephenson, who has just come out with a book called Commodities Are Hot and Getting Hotter. Uh, it has to do with the little book of commodity investing welcome to the show john well
3: oh, thank you great to be here
2: let's just start with your background a little bit and uh... how you got interested in commodities and your whole background uh... to be able to write this book
3: oh sure well i'm an engineer by training and then i have a, an mba as well and uh... worked in the oil and gas industry for many years and then uh... uh lived in both uh, europe america and canada and I really watched the evolution of of the investment world over you know decades and i think What, you know, I come out with on the book is that we're really coming back to a period very analogous to the 1970s. Bell bottoms and (laughs) disco music may not be coming back, but commodities and commodity investing I think will, uh, in large part because of the fundamental changes we've seen in the world economy.
2: And what are some of those changes?
3: Well, really the rise of the developing world led by China. Uh, We just saw this uh, evidence of this today uh, in the New York Times ran a piece talking about Uh, about how uh, china had just overtaken japan as the number two economy in the world second biggest economy now it'll be many years before it's uh, a challenger to the u.s and uh, its strength economically but it's clearly rising and when you think about what's happened over the last 30 years 300 million people in china have started to prosper and become part of the middle class and that means they're buying refrigerators cars in some cases and apartments. Now, admittedly, from a very low base, but all of that means tremendous demand for commodities. Um, And making matters even better for the perspective of commodity investors is supply has continued to dwindle because it just hasn't been fashionable to to invest in mines or, or in oil fields these days.
2: I mean, lately, they have been doing relatively well because of feeding China, right? This has been a trend the last two years. Some are saying that it's maybe gotten too overheated, Uh, and China may be slowing down a little bit, so this is not a good time to get into commodities.
3: Yeah, I think you've got a little time on this one. I think, you know, frankly, the world is slowing down right now, and so uh, most of the commodities we talk about in the book are linked to global growth. Certainly the base metals and the energy complex clearly are, Uh, and uh, ag is, agricultural commodities are more linked to weather and weather patterns. But I think, without a doubt, uh, overall, on the big, big picture, say if you look out 10, maybe 15 years, the trend is very, very positive for commodities. And that's because if you consider when commodities were last doing well, which was during the 1970s, that was a time when uh, Europe was coming out of its funk after the Second World War, same with Japan. And, of course, America stood as the the one sole superpower, uh, and many people were entering the middle class. But uh, the estimates during that period are around 70, 75 million people were entering, uh, entering the middle class globally today it's hundreds of millions and by some estimates by 2030 it could be as many as 2 billion people so we have many more people demanding uh, the same things that happened during the 70s and we just have less capacity to supply at this time around
2: So from an investment point of view what is the compelling reason to invest in commodities versus traditional stocks and bonds
3: well, I think if you consider what happens when commodities tend to do well and there's a lot of academic research that supports this is uh, commodities tend to do well and stocks and bonds tend to do very poorly. So if you look at the case for stocks broadly, you've got a, a West, uh, Europe and uh, North America that's had too much debt for 20, 25 years, and by all intents and purposes, it's it's slowing. Uh, we, we just have to find a way to pay off this debt, and it probably will mean either tax increases, service cuts, or monetizing uh, the, the the debt, which is printing money, which is deflationary, and uh, we, which is the as a currency excuse me and would be good for commodities so ultimately we don't have many strong alternatives in the world of uh, stocks and bonds these days uh, Real estate of course is what got us into the mess with the bubble and so I think it's you know commodities stand alone really is is a bright light for investors going forward and best yet it's linked to the developing part of the world the only area of the world that's showing meaningful growth which is which is this developing world.
2: How do commodities act compared to stocks and bonds? Is it opposite or is, I mean, are they uncorrelated? Or if you've got some stocks and bonds, how, how do you put a portfolio together that has some commodities as part of it?
3: Sure. Well, I don't, I'm certainly not advocating that people have 100% commodities in their portfolio. I think that's just, that's just far too risky. But the research shows that they typically are uncorrelated. In other words, they, they zig when stocks and bonds zag. They go in the opposite direction. They tend to have the same type of returns. Uh, this is an unlevered uh, basket of commodity futures. They tend to have the same type of returns as uh, stocks, uh, but the volatility or the risk more closely associated with uh, with bonds, which is really surprising because I think the knock on commodities is, is they are uh, viewed by many people as just too risky. But actual research would show that they're, they're in fact, uh, less risky than stocks.
2: Okay, so let's get into some of the specific uh, ways you have uh you can do uh, commodities either as uh, stocks uh, producing uh, commodities one way or the other or you can actually do commodities trading directly. Let's talk about the stocks first. What, what is the advantage of buying into commodities through the stocks of the companies that produce? them?
3: I think one key advantage is you don't have to worry about all the mechanics of the futures market which is pretty complicated I think particularly for novices. You don't have to worry about rolling contracts as they come due. Uh, and having to worry about the shape of the, the futures curve and some of the other, the other minutiae that, that's a problem for, for novice investors. The, the benefit of commodity producing companies is number one, uh, you have leverage to rising commodity prices because assuming costs don't escalate as, as fast, corporate costs that is, don't escalate as fast as the price of the commodity, uh, you're going to get leverage to it through earnings. So that's one huge advantage. The other big advantage that I really like uh, about commodity producing stocks. Uh, is that uh, very often, particularly in the case of the mining companies, they're able to discover far more when they get underground and they start digging. So y- your reserve base generally increases over time. Uh, so in other words, uh, you're, you're not only getting leverage to the commodity, but you're also uh, increasing the value of the corporation as time goes on.
2: So uh, are there domestic companies, international? What are some? How do you pick companies that are, are a good play on commodities that are producing commodities?
3: Well, I think you want to pick commodities that uh, you, you particularly have an insight into and feel uh, comfortable with. Uh, certainly, I, th- I would say if I had to rank order some of the commodities I think look the most attractive right now, I'd say energy looks very attractive, and I would stick with uh, oil producing companies or predominantly oil producing companies versus energy. I think copper is very uh, is, is also a very attractive one, so Freeport, uh, Moran would be an attractive company to look at for that. That has a very good leverage to copper prices. Uh, certainly Chevron might be a very good company to look at uh, south of the border. And then, of course, there's, there's opportunities around the world for commodity-producing companies.
2: Let's, let's start with some of those specifically. Uh, let's talk about oil. What, what is your view in the long run of oil? Is it going to be a, a shortage coming? I mean, lately oil prices have actually been falling a little bit. Uh, is this a good opportunity to get into oil?
3: Yeah, I think in general, with all these commodities, 2011 uh, is going to be an ideal time to, be, to really be looking at commodities and uh, commodity producing companies. Uh, and the reason will be, I, I think global growth is going to start to pick up at that point in time. Um, but oil certainly has some of the best fundamentals, if not the best fundamentals of any commodity around. Uh, it's really a miracle fuel when you think about it. I mean, nothing else uh, runs our cars, uh, automobiles, lawnmowers. Uh, and costs less on a, on a volumetric basis than orange juice. So w- There's lots of alternatives that have been bad around. Uh, T. Boone Pickens has the Pickens plan uh, for natural gas, but um, frankly, uh, nothing has come along that can surpass oil. So we have this miracle fuel. Uh, the price is uh, reflected of world demand and supply. And with, with oil in particular, I, I believe the, the days of cheap, easy, and abundant oil are, are long gone. I don't think we're running out of oil, but I think we're going further and further afield to find it. I think if you consider what's happened with BP in the Gulf, uh, not only is it an environmental disaster, but but the sheer fact that they had to go 50 miles offshore to find oil shows you what lengths we're going to to get the stuff.
2: What is going to be the impact of that spill as far as the, the, the price and environmental regulations around drilling offshore?
3: Well, it's not clear yet. I think what's, what's clear is that the moratorium exists right now. It's uh, anticipated to be on till at least the end of November, which means that uh, offshore drilling in the Gulf, one of the most prolific regions in the world, is, is slowed. So that will force prices higher over time. Uh, if you look at what's happened over the last decade, 49% of new supply has come from the deep water. So certainly places like Nigeria, Brazil, are watching very carefully what happens in the Louisiana Gulf The Gulf of Mexico to try and figure out what they should be doing with offshore drilling but it has huge implications for the energy industry uh, and for consumers.
2: Do you think it's going to make it more expensive uh, to drill offshore?
3: Oh I think so. I think no matter what it's going to be more expensive probably because the environmental regulations are going to be so severe that only the biggest companies uh, will be able to afford to drill. They'll only be able to afford to drill If they can self-insure, in other words, they may not be able to get insurance from Lloyd's of London or other uh, insurance companies for their drilling rigs and their equipment. Uh, So they'll have to have enough cash in their balance sheet to do that. And that's going to force the prices up. You're going to have less competition for those leases. You're going to have more costs embedded in in doing it. And that just adds to the overall cost structure of the industry.
2: One of the ways you're talking about investing in oil are uh, exchange-traded funds, ETFs. what is the advantage of doing an ETF over individual oil-related stocks, and what would be some of your favorites?
3: Sure, I think uh, one of the one of the things that's really attractive uh, for invest uh, for an ETF is, of course, the cost. Uh, the cost is much lower uh, in general uh, than buying a mutual fund, an energy mutual fund. So you you have a saving there. Uh, certainly, you can do quite well in terms of uh, quite well in terms of uh, you know, cost buying individual fund, uh, individual names, um, but the problem with individual names is is you have company specific risks. So if you happen to be the unfortunate owner of BP at the just before the Macondo well, uh, you know erupted and blew up, uh, you'd be a very unhappy shareholder. That time, um, I think some of the attractive ETFs to look at uh, would be uh, there's a U.S. oil fund. Um, that's an attractive name to look at. Uh, That one tends to do fairly well. Um, And then I'm not particularly bearish uh, bullish on natural gas, but uh, there is a U.S. uh, natural gas fund that that people can trade um, that might be attractive as well if natural gas starts to turn the corner, which I think will happen in about a year's time.
2: Some people are saying that these ETFs don't track oil and natural gas very well. Uh, Do you agree with that criticism, or is that overdone?
3: I think it depends which kind of ETF you're talking about. If you're talking about an ETF that's physically backed, an example might be the GLD, which is the gold ETF, then the tracking is exceptionally tight. Uh, It would be on the order of 95% uh, accurate in terms of the price. If you're looking at a, a more typical ETF, what more typical ETFs do is they actually buy futures of oil or futures of natural gas or platinum or whatever problem you have with that is when people buy an ETF, they assume that the price of the ETF will reflect the price of the here and now. So if uh, oil goes from $50 to $100, they expect that they'll have doubled their money. But the problem with ETFs and one of the reasons why I tend to think that the best way to do this investing for most people is to buy uh, large cap companies um, that are in politically secure parts of the world that are operating politically secure parts of the world, um, because you don't get into some of these issues. And the issue, predominantly, is uh, for uh, ETFs that are struck off futures is it depends on the shape of the futures curve. If the futures curve is higher in the future than it is today, you're going out into the into the future and you're buying more expensive contracts and ultimately selling them. To, you know, as they go, they they roll. Uh, for less. So, in other words, you're buying high and selling low, and that's not a winning formula. And that's why they often don't track as well uh, as do uh, individual company investments.
2: Where would you like uh, oil companies in the world? What would be your favorite areas? Canada, Australia, China, U.S.? Where, where do you think they're the best positions?
3: Well, I think there's some great shale plays uh, and companies doing great things in the U.S. shale. Uh, The lower 48 uh, states is uh, predominantly a gas market. There's not so much oil uh, there. Uh, But I think, you know, you have to consider, at least from an oil perspective, companies that are operating in uh, the Canadian oil sands, uh, because certainly while there's been a lot of noise uh, about dirty oil, uh, it, it offers you many of the things that uh, that you would look for as an investor: it's politically secure parts of the world, uh, leverage to higher oil prices, and although the uh, operating uh, cost structure um, is high um, relative to some other jurisdictions, you don't have the political risk. So I think that's an area that investors should definitely be looking at.
2: Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Stephenson whose new book is called the little book of commodity investing we'll be back after this
0: up-to-date business and financial news call now and get the financial information you need 86-472-5790. the experts are here voice america business network
2: I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634 that's 707 1634 and don't delay because spaces are limited
1: best
0: from the boardroom to you voice America business network
1: you've been listening to the money answer show with Jordan Goodman if you have a question for Jordan or his guest please call us now at 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 now back to Jordan
2: welcome back to the money answer show this is Jordan Goodman my guest this hour is John Stephenson He's got a new book out called The Little Book of Commodity Investing. Welcome back to the show, John. Well, thank you. And tell them about uh, your website and what people can find there.
3: Oh, sure. Uh, we chatted a little bit in the break about commodities and some of the various uh, terms and, and, uh, and contract specifics. And so all that's available under commodities on my website, which is www.reportonmoney.com. Slash Commodities, uh, and then a, I write a a free piece every two weeks. Uh, comes One came out today, uh, called Money Focus. So if people are interested, that's on the economy, the stock market, commodities, just the world of investments in general. So if, if people are interested, feel free to uh, to check it out.
2: And do you manage money directly yourself as well?
3: Oh yes, I'm a portfolio manager at First Asset Investment Management, and so I'm responsible for um, mandates of around a billion dollars.
2: I see. Oh, very good. Okay, uh, let's talk about gold. You have a whole chapter in the book called Going for Gold. Uh, What are the uh, pros and cons of investing in gold today?
3: Well, I think a lot of people uh, love gold. It's certainly one of the most uh, colorful of all the commodities, and it certainly garners a lot of attention. Uh, Three things really move the price of gold. Uh, One is worries about the the health of the financial system. The second is inflation, and the third is U.S. dollar weakness. And all of those relationships, the most important one is the, the strength of the dollar. So if the dollar is, is weak, uh, that's good for gold. Uh, you can make a very good case on the, uh, for gold. that uh, We're heading up to uh, much higher gold prices. If you go back to, I think it's 1982, uh, gold in today's terms, uh, inflation adjusted, is over $2,000 an ounce. So certainly can be attractive. I look at it personally as more of a hedge for your portfolio in case the world does start to to fly apart you should have some gold or some gold uh, producing companies uh, in your portfolio because I think if you think about where we're at right now the big debate in the market isn't inflation right now it's whether we're having deflation or or not and I personally don't think we're going to see deflation uh, but that's not exactly a bullish condition for gold. Uh, and then financial crises. We certainly seem to have a lot of those. But uh, gold hasn't really moved above here, so I think gold is probably going to trade higher over time. But uh, it'll be a little while before we we hit two thousand dollars an ounce.
2: Why has it gone up as much as it has to over twelve hundred dollars an ounce?
3: Well, it's considered a, a store of value, and uh, and that's true of all commodities, but particularly gold. I think part, uh, partly because we were on the gold standard uh, for for so long. And it wasn't all that long ago, basically back to the 1970s when we came off the gold standard. So gold has has worked as a a unit of uh, monetary exchange for for many, many years, and that's uh, underpinned that view that it's a quasi-currency. And I think people are looking around and seeing, well, what's happened to our money, our our fiat, our paper money? And they're seeing a a Federal Reserve that stepped into action during the crisis and I think did a, a remarkable job but in saving the, the U.S. financial system, the size of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet has gone up threefold. Uh, debts are, are high. Def, debts are, are extremely high. Uh, deficits are enormous, over ten percent of GDP currently, over a trillion dollars. Uh, and there's there's even talk uh, from Democratic uh, members of the Congress of extending the bush tax cuts. That, that's how desperate things have become. And so I think people sense and investors sense that there is some uncertainty out there and uh, they believe that gold will, will track its traditional uh, safe haven and, and be a good investment uh, given the uncertainty that's around there.
2: What are some of the best ways to invest in gold uh, and the pros and cons of different ways to invest in gold?
3: I think one of the best ways is through uh, the uh an ETF, a physically-backed ETF. We, we spoke earlier about ETFs, and I said that the best way would be through a physically-backed one because it tracks the commodity in the here and now so well. So one of the clearest uh, and, and easiest ones to use is the GLD. It's enormous in terms of its uh, percent of the overall ETF market. Uh it, It's really the dominant one. So I personally hold that. We hold it in our funds, and, and that's a great way to track it. Um, there's other ways to, to do it, of course, uh, buying producing companies uh, exposes you to leverage, commodity price leverage, as well as increasing reserves over time. I think Barrick Gold, uh, gold Company it would be an attractive way It's the largest in the world. Uh, gold Corp has very good growth ahead of it as well. Um, so I think those are all uh, all ones to do and, and to look at. Um, those would be my recommendations.
2: And how about buying physical gold coins?
3: Well, that's certainly something that people feel to have a lot of comfort in and, and think that's a great idea. I know I'm not opposed to that. I think that's certainly one one way, but you do pay a fee for that. And you have to store that, and that can be expensive. And so you, you're looking at costs anywhere from 2 to 6% off the top just for the storage and... And the you know the value of the coin in terms of its artistic value, so you're not really getting the direct leverage to the commodity that you might through an ETF or through a commodity producing company or a gold producing company. So it's certainly a good way to have it. I think it's not bad if if you want to keep it for uh, sentimental reasons and uh, um, and for the fact that you love the beauty of those coins. I, I am certainly very positive on that. But I think it's not as, uh, I think economically it makes better sense to, to buy the ETF or, or the stocks.
2: And how about the futures, playing directly into the gold futures market?
3: Well, I think that's certainly something if you're a sophisticated investor that you might want to do. Um, I just find that for most people, um, that's beyond the scope of what they want to do. Uh, the problem with futures contracts is they expire at some point. So unless you want to get and take physical delivery of all of those contract, of all of those ounces of gold, in the case of gold, you're going to have to sit by the screen and figure out when to roll those contracts and what the best time to roll it is. And gold, like many commodities, has some seasonality. So during the summer, uh, late summer and early fall, tends to be the best time to, to buy gold. And the reason is that there's the Indian festival season coming up in the fall. Uh, India has for a long time been the biggest individual country buyer of gold. And then, of course, you've got the holiday session uh, season coming up in North America and Europe.
2: And then how about silver? You, you talk about the, the, the uh, shy uh, cousin, I guess. Oh, yeah,
3: with silver. You know, silver is one I think is very, very attractive right now. Uh, if you consider what's happened, if you look over 100 years, the average ratio between the silver price and the gold price is around 16 and half times. So, you know, silver trading at uh, a relatively low price and 16 and half times. Well, now it's it's closer to 70 times. So, gold is run away run away uh, from silver, and I think that linking uh, really you know really isn't uh, justified. So, I think silver is one of the most attractive ways to uh, to to play the whole precious metal space, um, and silver, of course. Uh, uh, was also a unit of monetary exchange. That's that's in fact how the pound sterling uh, got its name. The uh, UK currency is, is sterling was used, or, or, or rather, sterling silver was used as as the unit of exchange.
2: Do you think, in fact, silver could go up much more than gold?
3: Oh yeah, I see no reason for it. I think the re- the reason it has trailed so far is because it's considered a little m- bit more of an industrial metal than than say a, a pure currency because it's been used in photography. And used in uh, electronics. Um, and people look around and say, well, you know, digital cameras are out and, and there's no, no one today is using film, so that's got to be bad for silver. Well, to a degree, that's true, but, uh, but silver really is still considered uh, very much a, a precious metal in its own right and uh, a quasi currency similar to gold. So I think there's room for some catch up, and, you know, certainly it may not ever get back to its historic relationship of 16, 16 and a half to one. Uh, gold silver ratio, but but if it closed the gap even by half, uh, that would be fantastic from an investment standpoint. So What would be your favorite ways to play silver? Well, one company that I personally really like that I think makes a lot of sense is a company called Silver Wheaton, and what this is and there's there's examples in the gold space like Franco Nevada, but it's a royalty company. So many mining companies um, are digging underground, finding things, and they're primarily a copper, uh, zinc miner, for example, and they find they have a little silver on their property. Well, they sell silver uh, to a company like Silver Silver Wheaton. So basically, uh, they get a certain amount of production from a whole variety of mining companies. They're not responsible for operating the mine, so there's no mine-related issues or operational cost-related issues. And you, the investor, get direct leverage to physical silver and rising silver prices over time. Very
2: good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Stephenson. Uh, his book is called The Little Book of Commodity Investing. And we'll be back after this. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634 that's 807071634 and don't delay because spaces are limited When it comes to business you'll find the experts here
0: Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Stephenson, whose new book is called The Little Book of Commodity Investing. Welcome back to the show,
3: John. Well, thank you very much.
2: Just want to finish a little bit with silver. You talked about silver wheat, and how about some of the silver ETFs like SLV as a way to play silver?
3: Yeah, I think that's fine too. I think all those make sense. I think you know, if I had to to rank it, I would say silver is you know more attractive than uh, than gold right now. And I, I would be looking at switching if you know if I was uh, doing it right now, I'd be looking to take some money off the gold trade and put it into silver. It's it, it's catch up time.
2: And then you talk about platinum being the new gold. Uh, tell us a little bit about platinum and the best ways to play it.
3: Well, I think platinum is, uh, is certainly very, very attractive. Uh, one of the reasons it's attractive, it's got two things going for it. it. It's considered a precious metal, and it trades very much in line, actually, at a premium to, uh, to gold. Uh, so it's certainly got that whole uh, uncertainty trade, that whole inflation trade, and that whole U.S. dollar weakness uh, trade potentially going for it. Uh, plus, it's also got an industrial purpose, so it's it's kind of a twofer in, in, in essence. Uh, and what it has in terms of a, a uh, industrial component is it's used very extensively in catalytic converters, and it's also used in uh, hybrid cars. So clearly, the environment's a, a big issue uh, going forward, and um, and with more and more hybrid cars like the Toyota Prius Prius coming out, uh, that's that also is very positive for uh, for platinum.
2: So, what would be some of your favorite ways to play platinum?
3: Well, I think with uh, with uh, platinum, uh, certainly the, you you could look at it for a few. Loneman is one of the equities that's pretty much a, a pure uh, commodity producer. I think that would be a very attractive one. Uh, there's an, an iPath Dow Jones UBS Platinum Sub Index. Uh, that's a, an ETF. I would I would recommend that. Those would probably be my two top picks.
2: Okay, so long term, you're saying that demand for gold, silver, and platinum is going to be growing. Uh, and there is a play against the decline of the dollar and all the printing of money. That's that's the long-term play about it. Really. Yeah, I
3: think if you the, the kind of thesis with with the precious metals is um, if you think about what's happened, just broadly speaking over the last you know five years or so, uh, you, you've seen this enormous bubble economy that was created based around real estate. You found the the bubble broke, collapsed, and prices fell, and so the only only entity globally that stood in were federal governments. And the federal government started spending money. And in many cases, they don't have the money to spend. And we saw that problem in, in Europe uh, where the, the market started to say, you know, no, we're not, we're not going to buy any more Greek debt. And so the only entity that's left to continue spending absent the consumer, unless they get going, is central banks. And I think there's historic track record for central banks printing money get themselves out of the mess because the only other alternatives are slashing slashing budgets slashing services or raising taxes dramatically and I think that's just very difficult to do politically certainly after the Vietnam War, uh, Vietnam War and after the Second World War that's exactly what the US did they printed money to monetize their debts and I believe that's where we're going back to and that will ultimately be good for all these precious metals Are the central banks sellers or buyers of gold right now? Hence, uh, if you look at it broadly, the West is sellers. so Europe and North America are selling, and Asia is a buyer, uh, a big buyer, particularly India has bought recently, um, bought a big, uh, big chunk of gold recently in the last year from uh, the IMF. Uh, I think if China were to say, look, we've got a lot of treasuries here, uh, U.S. treasuries, we just want to diversify, have 10% of our reserves in gold, if that were to ever happen... Gold, you'd be looking at $2,000 an ounce for gold overnight.
2: So the net buying uh, from Asia is a very positive thing for gold, you think?
3: Yeah, very positive, both on the physical side, predominantly on the physical buying, the actual jewelry buying, it is Asia. It's predominantly India and then followed closely by China. Uh, and then on the central bank buying, the net buying is, uh, is through uh, uh, the, the East as well. Uh, central banks have, a, um, have an agreement where they are selling on a, on a schedule. Certain proportion of it down, but but the vast majority of the gold is held in the West, uh, and the buyers are in the East.
2: Okay. You would then have a chapter on uh, non-precious metals, uh, kind of industrial metals. What are some of the metals you, you think are best there, and what are the cases for them, and what's the best way
3: to play them? Sure. Um, I, I basically think there's several camps you can group these commodities in, and, and certainly one camp would be uh, the base metals. And the other camp we just spoke of, which is the precious metals, which is, is kind of a dollar dollar. Um, Uh, inflation trade, but the base metals are uh, and the bulk materials are things like uh, steel, iron, ore. Uh, Those are bulk bulk commodities. And then in the base metals, those are things that are really related to industrial demand globally. So copper would be there, zinc would be there, iron ore would be a base metal, and aluminum would be a base metal. And I would say in terms of the most attractive ones, uh, iron ore is extremely attractive because uh, it's really central to the steelmaking process. Uh, Coking coal, which is used in the steel-making process, is very attractive as a commodity. And then I think copper is probably the most attractive uh, way to play the base metals because ultimately we're going to see growth at some point for the world economy, uh, and copper will be in demand. And copper is really used in everything you can think of. It's used in plumbing. It's used in wiring. Uh, so when you see industrial activity pick up, you should be thinking copper.
2: And, again, uh, are there ETFs or individual stocks? What are the best ways to Oh, sure. There's play ETFs. This?
3: I think well, the way I personally play this, uh, the copper trade is through Freeport um, Mac Moran. Uh, FCX is a symbol, and uh, that's a, has a great leverage to it, uh, wonderful properties, uh, and, and an excellent management team. So I think that's a great way to play it. Iron ore, uh, uh, Cliffs Resources, uh, is something that uh, would be familiar to many uh, U.S. investors that's extremely attractive way to play, uh, play this theme as well. And then, of course, there's ETFs as well for it.
2: And then are there some international mutual funds that would be buying commodity-producing companies around the world that you think would be a good way to play
3: it? Sure. I think mutual funds are a great way to play it. Uh, you do pay a little more for fees than you do for the ETFs, but you get diversity. You get professional management. So I think that's attractive. I think there's many uh, commodity... Uh, producing companies that uh, certainly we have uh, funds at First Asset that do that. Um, but in addition to that, I think Fidelity and many uh, U.S. Uh, companies would have it. Um, you know, your AIM, uh, AIM uh, Invesco has it as well. Uh, so a lot of the big uh, big asset managers that throughout the world would have exposure to commodities and would have dedicated funds that would not only offer commodity futures, but also the producers in a separate fund.
2: Okay, you have a chapter on food uh, commodities, agricultural markets. What, what are what is the the case for investing in agricultural commodities, and what would be some of your favorites there?
3: I think the case for it is that uh, a couple things. One is uh, as the world becomes richer, as more and more the developing world industrializes and becomes urbanized, their diets change. And- There's really no evidence as to why their diet's change. Maybe it's a status symbol. I'm not sure. Uh, But uh, they tend to eat more protein-based diets. So they they leave a diet of predominantly rice or, in some cases, wheat behind, and they move and gravitate more to a chicken, pork, and beef-based diet. And that has tremendous implications because uh, if you go from a a diet of rice to a diet of, uh, say, pork, uh, it requires three times, three to seven times as many uh, inputs of, of grain to produce uh, the same unit of uh, pork or, or or beef, depending on which product. it is. beef beef takes the most uh, to do. Uh, so you have changing diets demand more uh, grains. Uh, weather uh, the weather we're seeing in the north northeastern United States is the same sort of weather that we're seeing in in places like uh, Russia, Kazakhstan. Um, and others, uh, Western Canada, uh, and so grain supplies have, have been challenged. And just last week, uh, Vladimir Putin came out and said that he would, uh, the Russian Prime Minister, and said that he would uh, ban all exports of wheat. So, of course, wheat, wheat's wheat been on a tear. So I think certainly uh, one of the ways to play uh, the whole agricultural theme is, is through ETFs linked to these various um, commodities, the wheat, the soy, and the corn. Um, that's certainly a, a great way to play it, um, um, and uh, I would recommend that. The other way to play it is through some of the fertilizer companies because fertilized food grows twice as fast as unfertilized food, and that's an attractive uh, way to play it.
2: What would be some of your ETFs that are tied to commodities that you would like?
3: Oh, there's the GGJ, uh, MU, which is uh, one that's listed in the U.S. Uh, that also that has some of the um, companies uh, like uh, Archer Daniels Midland in there, um, as well as some of the actual, um, uh, uh, you know, physical commodities, uh, DJP is another one. Uh, so those would all be uh, ways to play it to the ETF market.
2: So did you anticipate something like this happening with wheat that would go up this fast? Or is this what we're expecting in the future?
3: Well, I think you can certainly see sh- uh, sharp prices. I think what's interesting about the wheat trade is actually the st- globally, while there's a shortage in, in Canada and there's a shortage in Russia and uh, Kazakhstan and the Ukraine, there's actually a surplus of wheat in, in the U.S. So I think globally, actually, wheat stocks aren't too bad. But the, the truth of all of this is uh, if weather, extremes and weather persist, this is going to be good for wheat, for corn, uh, for soy. Uh, and ultimately it will go up high, uh, very high. And, and one of the things that makes um, agricultural commodities so potentially attractive from an investment standpoint is there really is no alternative to eating. Uh, you really do need it. So uh, in general, uh, you know, stocks of the various grains have been trending down over time. So uh, while wheat is not too bad right now, uh, if, uh, if growth economically continues, if wealth continues to be redistributed, the overall trend line is for lower stocks, and, and that means that you're going to have more spikes, more food uh, uncertainty, and potentially riots, uh, and and, uh, and and really what I would call uh, you know a food fight uh, globally. And uh, you know, not too long ago, there were uh, there was insurrections and riots over food and lack of it uh, in many parts of the developing world, almost on a weekly basis.
2: You talk in addition to uh, regular commodities about uh, food stuffs finding profits in foodstuffs. What are some ways of doing that?
3: Well, foodstuffs I would classify as things like cocoa, uh, sugar, um, uh, orange juice. Um, those are sort of the typical food foodstuffs. There's several that are traded mainly in London, but uh, uh, there's uh, an ETF for coffee. Um, COFF is one. There's, uh, there's a Lean Hogs one. It's called Hogs. There's uh, one for sugar which is SUGA um, and those are often done by a company called ETF Commodity Securities, one of the largest in the world uh, and that gives you exposures to those. Again it's similar similar um, changes in, in diet uh, increasing wealth around the world uh, and that's really what's driving, driving those higher. Do you think
2: that's a good place to go long term as well?
3: I think it is long term. I think if you're looking out with an investment horizon of five to ten years I think what investors want to look for and should think about is where the world is going and not where the world has been. And I think you look at stocks uh, in general, uh, they've gone nowhere but down over the last 10 years. And yet you've got this enormous force of, of you know, four-fifths of the world uh, rising out of poverty and I think and uh, becoming middle-class consumers. And that's going to be a great news story for commodities and commodity stocks in the future.
2: Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Stephenson. His new book is called The Little Book of Commodity Investing. We'll be back after this.
0: It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your
1: portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now toll free 866 472 5790. That's 866
0: 472 5790. Voice America Business Network.
2: Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts. the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, At cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay, because spaces are limited.
0: When you were young, did you feel free to daydream? Were you full of questions such as why, how, and what if? Did you allow yourself to be carefree, to dance and sing? Did you create just for fun? Want to feel that way again? Reclaim your natural curiosity and creativity with Dr. Carol Stalka on Stargazing Stories, sparking your creativity. Revitalize your life, work, and relationships. Be more playful. Be bold. Imagine, explore, and live more creatively every day. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. in the East, 8 a.m. in the West on 7th Wave Network.
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, my host. My, my guest this hour is John Stephenson, uh, whose new book is called *The Little Book of Commodity Investing*. Welcome back to the show, John.
3: Well, thank you so much.
2: You talk about bulking up. Uh, how can one benefit from bulk commodities?
3: Yeah, well, uh, when you think about bulk commodities, what I'm really referring to is steel, uh, iron ore, uh, coke and coal. Those are kind of the the major bulk ones, and and virtually every country that, particularly that's industrializing has a steel industry so it's huge and and uh, I, I point out that one of the, the things that investors can use to sort of get a sense for how uh, that market is going is the Baltic dry which is an index of uh, dry shipping rates basically and uh, give you a sense for whether the market is, is heating up or, or cooling off. Uh, but I think that's a very attractive way for investors to um, to play commodities uh, steels used in really everything uh, from cars to buildings. Um, and so if, uh, if the world economy is starting to grow, you, you can be certain that steel is, is going to be uh, front and center, and certainly within that, China is the 800-pound gorilla in, in virtually all commodities. The number one in terms of coke and coal demand, number uh, one in terms of steel production. They, they produce more steel than South Korea, Germany, US, uh, Japan, all combined. So they're enormous in terms of, they produce basically half the world's steel. Uh, so all of that is going to be in huge demand if uh, China and the global economy uh, picks up.
2: And again, what are some specific companies you would like to play steel and the other bulk commodities?
3: Well, I think uh, certainly uh, American companies uh, will actually do quite well in the steel uh, with steel's rise. Uh, so I think uh, you know I, I think you could see a resurgence finally in, in uh, U.S. steel, for example. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, Cliffs Resources, which uh, would be one way to play the iron ore side of things. That will be a, a name I think investors should watch. I consolidated uh, Thompson is a smaller name, but uh, a, an early stage iron ore producer. Uh, that's one of the ways to, to do it. And while I'm not an expert in, in shipping and container lines, uh, certainly the steel business is, uh, is booming. You can be certain that um, uh, shipping companies will be doing well, particularly the ones who specialize in those bulk commodities.
2: Okay, let's kind of have a broader view here of, of commodities. What, this growth in commodities you're seeing as the uh, third world starts using them more, what are some of the broader implications of that uh, for the economy and investors?
3: Yeah, I, I maintain that learning something about commodities not only helps you in the short run and helps your portfolio by giving you some diversification that you wouldn't otherwise have. Um, if you consider what happened with uh, the S&P during the 70s, uh, energy went from about 8%. Uh, of the index to over 30%. Today it's currently about 10% of the, uh, of the S&P 500. So we've got a ways to go uh, before this commodity uh, bull market is over. But more importantly uh, than the diversification, it gives you a whole insight into the world. If you see that the uh, the price of uh, orange juice is increasing at the grocery store, uh, you might know from reading the book that Brazil is the biggest producer, not Florida, of, of oranges and, and, and orange juice. Uh, and you'd be thinking about funds and areas uh, of uh, Brazil to maybe consider for for further study. Same thing with energy. If you see energy's on the rise, um, the great energy-producing countries of the world, whether they be in the Middle East or even Canada, which is the number one supplier of, uh, of imported energy into the U.S., is a great place to look. And it's not just a great place to look for energy companies or orange juice producers, for example. It's a great place to look at hotels. Uh, restaurants, anything that, that overall changes uh, that will be impacted in a commodity country. So if commodities on the rise, commodity-producing countries, whether they be in Canada, Australia, the Middle East, will be beneficiaries, and so will all these other ancillary businesses. Uh, the, the record is clear. Commodities uh, zig when the rest of the market is, is zagging. And uh, I think the better opportunities are going to be for investors when they look to where the world is going, uh, not to where the world has already been.
2: Some would say that uh, the concern right now is about deflation and that uh, prices are falling about all kinds of things, real estate and so on. If you did have deflation, uh, what would be the effect of that on commodities and commodity investing?
3: I think if you did have deflation, it would be a bad news story for commodities and commodity investing. And I would, I would suggest to you that you should, you know, forget it and, and revisit it later. Um, I, you know, what makes commodity investing work is, is going to be globalization and, and it continuing. Uh, I believe it will because it so far has pulled 300 million people uh, around the world, basically out of extreme poverty and made them part of the global middle class, uh, the, the pie is actually getting bigger. It's not getting smaller. So ultimately, it should be a, a good news story for, for most people and for certainly for most investors. Um, but if we have deflation, um, yes, I think you should definitely uh, wait it out in, in terms of your commodity bets. Uh, we're, we're expecting that inflation will uh, eventually occur and that growth will uh, continue to uh continue in the future. I think we're going to take a pause for a little bit, um, but I think certainly by the end of this year, it's time to look. And I think the reason why we're not going to see deflation is there really isn't a plan B if we do slip into deflation. Of course, that's what's happened in Japan uh, with some pretty unpleasant uh, consequences over there. And uh, Ben Bernanke, I think, is doing a stellar job, and, and certainly he wrote his thesis on you know the depression and has studied uh, you know the occurrence of uh, of japan's experience with deflation and uh, that's in fact where he he got dubbed helicopter Ben when he talked about all the remedies a, a central bank could use to uh... to rectify that problem
2: but you're saying all the money that the central banks are printing not only here but around the world is ultimately bullish for commodities
3: yeah i mean right now what's happening is all that money that's being printed is sitting on the balance sheet of citigroup so it's not going anywhere So you you, you have to not only print the money, it has to turn over. It has to be a multiplier in the economy. Uh, And right now it's not going anywhere. It's not being spent. Banks are afraid to lend. But at some point in time, all that money to reflate the system, to get confidence back up, to get people spending, I mean, ultimately, if you print a trillion dollars, someone's going to spend it. And if they do, that will be ultimately a good news story for commodities. And that's how I believe the central bank will will watch this. They'll continue to watch. They'll see if deflation is incurring. They'll watch the CPI. If that's the case, they'll, they'll continue doing quantitative easing. Uh, they'll continue to print more money, they'll continue to expand their balance sheet, and ultimately it'll kick off a round of inflation, which will be very good uh, for commodities. In the meantime, there's hundreds of millions of people more wanting to enter the global middle class. The average grade of gold mine, for example, has fallen over thirty years from thirteen grams per ton to one and a half grams per ton. The Same is true, roughly speaking, in, in copper and other commodities. It's getting harder to find. All of that sets up really strong fundamentals with this nice overlay of potentially an inflation story uh, that will help lift it even higher. What you've seen so far is nothing yet.
2: In about a minute left, uh, just tell people again about your website and what they can find on your website.
3: Sure. Uh, lots of information on the commodity contracts, where they're, where they're traded, how what the standard sizes are, also a listing of ETFs. Uh, the address is www.reportonmoney.com as well, I write a free uh, investment newsletter that goes out to uh, about 75,000 people around the world right now. And if you want to join, it's called Money Focus. All I need is an email address. You can unsubscribe at any time.
2: Thanks so much, John. It's really been fascinating. My guest this hour has been John Stephenson, whose new book is called The Little Book of Commodity Investing. Thanks so much for being on the show, John.
3: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you.
2: Thank you. And we we'll, I hope you enjoyed this, uh, this show. And we'll be back with you in, uh, next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.